Happy Friday, everybody. It is Friday, August 18th, 2023. This is the Second Half Podcast. I'm Tom Powell, and as always, if you're listening to this, that means you made it through another week and margaritas are in order. And every week I give you a reason why you should go get margaritas, and this week it's because the fucking kids are back in fucking school, man. Praise be to the imaginary Jeebus that lives in our sky. Them crotch goblins are out of my house. I love my kids to death. I would do damn near anything for my kids, but summer break can be draining. And they are all back to school. We have uh, moved our 18-year-old daughter, Lily, into her uh, dorm uh, on the campus of UIC in the heart of Chicago. For her freshman year. And uh, our son, Tommy, has started, uh, he's 11 years old, he has started 6th grade. Um, So we got a little bit of ways to go until we're completely out of the woods with kids in school. Excuse me, with kids in school. Uh, But we're inching ever closer. You know, we've reached that point, obviously we've been there for a year or two, but we've reached that point where... The kids can get themselves ready in the morning. They can make their own lunch. They kind of set their own timers. So, you know, we're no longer chasing toddlers or or, or children around, but we do have a ways to go. It is 2023, and our youngest doesn't graduate high school until 2030. Yeah. 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 That much longer to go. Class of 2023. 30. But we'll deal with that down the road. Today we got to deal with today, and today the kids are in school. They are out of my house. So go get yourself a pitcher of margaritas and celebrate accordingly. Sorry I didn't do a podcast last week. There's a lot going on. Um, uh, but we're back at it this week, obviously, as you can hear. And uh, I'm going to do a little bit of housekeeping, as I normally do every week before we get into the stories that we want to talk about. And because it's been two weeks, we've got a lot of stories to talk about. We've got a lot of things to cover. This is also, by the way, very quickly, my 200th episode. So um, thank you guys who are regular listeners. Tell all of your friends about this podcast. Get them to uh, subscribe as well. The numbers are good on the podcast, but they could always be better. And I can't believe that we've made it to 200 podcast episodes, but that is today's episode number, 200. All right, some housekeeping for the people that are finding me for the very first time. If you're finding me for the first time, there are a couple of things that you need to know about me and the podcast as a whole. One, the podcast is an amateur podcast. It is not done in a professional studio. There's no editor. There's no mixer. There's no producer. It's me. And usually I'm doing it in my home office on my laptop. Uh, since my wife has been working from home, I have been moving the podcast out here to the shed. Uh, so I'm doing it from the shed on my iPhone. It's literally that simple of a podcast. So if you hear some background noise, I, I don't, I don't want to hear about it. Okay, don't don't send me an email. I don't give a fuck. It's not meant to be a professional, finished, polished product. So don't get your panties in a bunch if you hear some background noise. Okay. The second thing that you need to know about me, if you're finding me for the very first time, is my website. 
and that would be oldhippymedia.com. That's oldhippie, H-I-P-P-I-E, media.com. There you're going to find anything you want to know about me. You're going to find my blog. You're going to find a link on where you can buy my first two books. I have a couple of self-published books available in paperback and ebook formats. You're going to find a link on where you can follow me on all the various social media sites, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Threads, LinkedIn. My YouTube channel is there. Go subscribe to my YouTube channel if you haven't already. You're going to find a link to my store. I have, I, I have merch as well, over 400 items to choose from. You're going to find links on where you can get a hold of me, where you can send me something, and where you can support me in general. Once again, that would be oldhippymedia.com. That's oldhippie, H-I-P-P-I-E, media.com. All right, now that that's done with, let's move on to the stories that we're going to talk about this week. The first story I'm going to talk about is a personal story that has nothing to do with politics. It's just something that happened yesterday, Thursday the 17th, that just has my mind blown. Yesterday was a bad day in general uh, for the family. Yesterday was the three-month anniversary of my sister-in-law's passing. Uh, so it was hard on my wife, mother-in-law, and uh, my other sister-in-law. All, all of my sister-in-laws. My wife is one of three daughters, and her mom married a gentleman that had three daughters. So there's technically six daughters. Um, so it was hard on everybody. Um, th- this particular sister-in-law, Michelle, passed away three months ago, um, unexpectedly at the age of 44. So it came out of nowhere. It shocked everybody. Yesterday was the three-month anniversary of that passing, and yesterday would have been her 45th birthday. So yesterday was a, it was a very difficult day for my wife, my kids, and my extended family. On top of that... My wife had a very bad day at work. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. We learned from our 18-year-old, who we had moved in the day before, that she had never signed up for a a meal plan. So she's at college without a meal plan, which is awesome. That's great. Uh, She also never returned her uh, library books to the local library here, so I had to get that taken care of because I got a letter in the mail yesterday saying, hey, fucko, you got some of our books. And then the topper... And this is the one that I wanted to talk about, the one that really blows my mind. Um, My wife has a 2019 Grand Cherokee. There was a recall on it, a small recall that they needed to replace a certain part on it. I I said to the dealership, hey, while you got it there, it's due for an oil change. Why don't you go ahead and change the oil? And uh, they did. We went and picked it up last night. My wife drove it home, put it in the driveway, went inside. Uh, we did a couple of things here, there, had a little little dinner, yada, yada, yada. I went to go take the garbage out and noticed a four-foot puddle of oil under her car. So we rolled the car out of the driveway onto the street to see that what, what appears to be almost all of the oil that they put into the car at the oil change is now sitting on my fucking driveway. And I can't tell if they just forgot to put the oil plug back in the pan or if they didn't put on an oil filter if they didn't put an oil plug back in the pan i have to imagine that it would have ran dry 
before she even got home. So I, I'm, I'm starting to, to lean towards no oil filter. Either way, the oil that they put in my wife's car is now on my driveway. They had to send a tow truck last night to grab it. Uh, after I get done recording this podcast, I'm going to be calling them and finding out what the status of this vehicle is and what they plan to do to uh, to get this fucking oil off my driveway. Uh, so today's probably going to be a day filled with arguing with the dealership. But, I mean, my local mechanic doesn't do that. But a full-on Jeep dealership does that? Come on, guys. Get your head out of your fucking ass, man. Get your fucking head out of your fucking ass. I'm not going to mention the dealership until I, f- uh, I figure out what it is they're going to do. If they make it right, I don't want to necessarily drag them. But if they if they give me the runaround on making it right, then I'll let you know what dealership to avoid in the southwest suburbs. But, yeah, bless, man. I got this massive fucking puddle of oil on my driveway. And Lord knows if there was any damage done to the car driving it back while oil was pouring out of the motherfucker. <sighs> I can't stand incompetence. And that's what that is. It's incompetence. Speaking of incompetence, and get your head out of your ass, I'd like to move to uh, to uh, tell you about a gentleman on TikTok that wanted to uh, throw hands with me. Very quickly, before we get into the political news stories. <clears throat> this gentleman made a video towards me. Back up. He actually sent me um, a message first and said, I'm in Chicago where do you live, pussy, answer me, or should I say, fat fuck, answer me. So I gave him the laughing face emoji and uh, made a video about his message, and then he did a video saying, no, I'm in Chicago, tell me where you live. You say you want people to come to your house? Well, I'm ready to come to your house, I'm ready, motherfucker. Now, in his video, he clearly has a kid in the backseat, so he's wanting to stop by and fight me while he has a kid in the backseat. Uh, B, I never told him to stop by my house. Uh, there was a gentleman a while ago that said, maybe I should pay you a visit. And I said, well, stop by the house, pal. And this guy took it as an open invitation. Uh, we found out who he is. Uh, he lives in Iowa, owns a tire shop. And uh, made a video about him. And, uh, of course, he then makes a lot of shit private and goes into hiding and doesn't have anything else to say about it. But this is a general kind of message to anybody that has that mindset. Uh, One, if you feel the need to uh, actually fight somebody over a disagreement in politics, you are a weak-minded, pathetic lump of dog shit. B, if you want my address... All you have to do is be mildly good at Google searches. I use my real name on all of my social media accounts. I don't hide where I'm from, the town I'm from, anything. Hell, I talk about it in my podcast. I live in Shanahan, Illinois. It's in my books that I live in Shanahan, Illinois. And I ran for public office out of this house, which means by law, my address had to be made public. I also ran a small business out of this house. So if you can do Google searches... You can find my address. If you can't Google my address and find it, then you're too fucking stupid to come to my house. 
these fucking right-wing loons, man. No, where's your house, man? I'm going to come fucking talk to you. All right. We're Kevlar, bitch. <laughs> these fucking people crack me up. Absolutely crack me up. All right. Let's move on to some more serious news topics. And, and I, I want to I talk about a stunning story that I, I read, that I was actually going to talk about in last week's podcast had I had one. And it's a story about a woman who claims that a doctor ripped her baby's head off during delivery. I don't know if you guys saw this one, but I'm going to read to you from ABC News. A doctor used too much force and decapitated a Georgia woman's baby during delivery, according to a lawsuit attorneys filed Wednesday. That would be Wednesday of last week. The baby's mother and father, Jessica Ross and Trayvon Isaiah Taylor Sr., attended a news conference in Atlanta where the attorneys announced the lawsuit against Dr. Tracy St. Julian and Southern Regional Medical Center, a hospital in Riverdale, Georgia, where Ross went on July 9th to have her son. Riverdale is about 13 miles south of Atlanta. Quote, they were so excited about the birth of their first child, said attorney Corey Lynch. Unfortunately, their dreams and hopes turned into a nightmare that was covered up by Southern Regional Medical Center. Calls to St. Julian's office went unanswered and an email message was not immediately returned. The Associated Press was not able to determine whether she had an attorney. Southern Regional said in a statement, it could not discuss treatment for particular patients due to privacy laws, but it denies the allegations against it. It's Quote, heartfelt thoughts and prayers, unquote, were with Ross and Taylor and their care providers, it said. Our commitment is to provide compassionate quality care to every single patient, and this loss is heartbreaking. It later added that St. Julian is not an employee of the hospital, and it had, take, it had quote, taken the appropriate steps in response to this unfortunate situation. What would the appropriate response be? I, I, I mean, if you're delivering a baby, and I have no idea what happened. I wasn't in the room. I'm going by what I'm reading on the, in the news articles and in the lawsuit. If you're delivering a baby and the only part that comes out is the head, that's obviously a major fucking problem. And I can't even imagine the pain that those parents are going through those. I like, I can't fit it into my head. Our 22 year old daughter, Magnolia, which was the first birth I ever attended was born via C-section after my wife pushed for almost an entire day and really got nowhere. They said, we're going to take you in for a C-section and we're going to get that baby out of you. They asked me, do you want to go in with her? I got robes here for you to go in. And I said, no, I can't be in a room where somebody's cutting my wife open. And I can't. I, 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 I barely made it through my son's C-section, uh, C which is the only birth I was in the room for. So I, I said, no, I'm not going to go in. My mother-in-law grabbed the, the, the robes, uh, the gowns, and went in with my wife. Now, they had put a monitor onto uh, our daughter's head while she was still in utero 
they went up through my wife's vagina, placed a monitor on the head. The monitor obviously has a cable attached to it. They took my wife into the operating room, myself, my father-in-law, a handful of other people were waiting outside the operating room, just outside the operating room in a little sitting area. And when they cut my wife open for the C-section and they reached in and pulled Maggie out, the cord was still attached. So as they pulled her out of the, the opening, the cord went up into my wife's vagina more and began to cut into her. And she screamed a scream I've never heard before. And I hit the button to open the automatic doors to go in there to stop them from doing whatever it is they were doing. And my father-in-law had to grab me and hold me against the wall from keeping me from going in there and killing every medical professional in that room. So I can only imagine what these people are going through. That was, that was an accident that caused my wife temporary pain, but still resulted in all of them being okay ultimately. Their child got decapitated during birth. I, I, I can't even, I can't even fit that into my head, man. Yeah, we can't talk about specific patients due to privacy. Well, this patient wants to make it public. They're telling you to go ahead and talk about it. So quit tap dancing around it and figure this one the fuck out. I would dare say that that doctor is fucked for life. (sighs) What a horrendous story. Uh, But let's shift gears here. Uh, From the horrendous uh, news, we move on to some good news, uh, and that is the results of the vote on issue one in Ohio, which also happened last week. I was going to talk about this last Friday, but I didn't do a podcast. I'm now going to read to you from AP News. Ohio voters resoundedly, resoundedly, resoundingly, resound, resound. Hang on a second. I do some mouth exercise. Ohio voters resoundingly rejected a Republican-backed measure that would have made it more difficult to change the state's constitution, constitution, setting up a fall campaign that will become the nation's latest referendum on abortion rights since the U.S. Supreme Court overturned nationwide protections last year. The defeat of Issue 1 keeps in place a simple majority threshold for passing future constitutional amendments. Its supporters said that the higher bar would protect the state's foundational document from outside interest groups. Voter opposition to the proposal was widespread, even spreading into traditionally Republican territory. In fact, in early returns, support for the measure fell far short of former President Donald Trump's performance during the 2020 election in nearly every county. What the Republicans were trying to do in Ohio was prevent people from blocking their ability to ban people from getting abortions by altering the state constitution. Because you see, if it's in the state constitution, then it doesn't matter what lawsuit you bring, it doesn't matter what law you try to pass, you can't fucking do it. You can't. And some states have made it a priority to alter their constitution to codify a woman's right 
to abortion care. And in other states, the state constitutions that they've altered in favor of Republicans have backfired on them when it comes to abortion. I think it was Montana, perhaps, that um, during the COVID pandemic altered their state's constitution to say that a person has a right to choose what medical procedures they get or do not get. That a person's um, bodily autonomy is theirs, period. Nobody can tell them they can't get this medical procedure or, or they have to get this medical procedure. And then after Roe v. Wade was overturned, they tried to pass an anti-abortion uh, bill, an anti-abortion law, and the lawyers and judges went, no, 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 no. You guys put it in the Constitution that anybody in this state can get the medical procedures that they want. Now you're saying that they can't? It's not how that shit works. So, good on you, Ohio, for rejecting issue one and making it harder for these fucks to cement their fascist rule through the state's constitution. Don't let these motherfuckers get away with it. And that's what people in state after state are seeing. They're seeing that their rights are being taken away from them since the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and that if they can, that if they can get it on the ballot to codify a, a, a woman's right to choose, or if they can get it into the state constitution, then it doesn't matter what federal protections are in place or not in place, that their state is going to protect a woman's right to choose no matter what. And Ohio voters, even though Ohio has been reliably red in recent election cycles, Ohio voters said, fuck that noise. We're not playing that game. So good on you, Ohio. We're going to move on now, speaking of fascists, to the world of Republican fascism. The next two stories are indicative of what the Republican Party has become in the modern era. So since the 80s, the Republican Party has been trying to cement themselves as the controlling, dominating political party of this country. And the problem that they have is that their support is shrinking. The people who support conservatism in the form of far-right-wing republicanism, that number is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Baby boomers are dying off by the thousands every year, and Gen Zers are coming of voting age by the thousands every year, and we're seeing a demographic shift in this country, which results in a uh, Republican, a political shift in this country, and Republicans are losing their control. And so what do they need to do? They need to just lock themselves into being in control by getting rid of anybody that's not like them. And the next two stories are indicative of that mindset. From the Daily Coes. Newburn is a black majority town in rural Alabama that, according to residents, has never had an election. Patrick Braxton ran to become its first black mayor in 2020. With no opponent, he ascended into the office by default, but you'd never know it. The previous mayor, Haywood Woody Stokes III, isn't leaving 
despite the fact that he failed to submit the necessary paperwork to even run for the role. Before Braxton, the position of mayor in this town had always been passed down from one white friend to another white friend. Stokes initially tried to dissuade Braxton from running because he said the town of 245 people couldn't support an election. After all, Stokes said, they, quote, don't have ballots or machines to do it. So Braxton headed to the county seat of Greensboro and got all the paperwork he needed, following the rules to the letter and shelling out the funds for the filing fee. Stokes didn't bother to do any of that. Braxton assumed office and was advised that he should appoint the town council members marking the first time the black majority council truly represented the black majority town, the majority black town. My apologies. In November 2020, the council and Braxton were all sworn into office together. But it appears a conspiracy to hold power by the former council was created soon after the swearing-in. Former members of the predominantly white town council, all of whom failed to file their own required paperwork, held an undisclosed and illegal meeting to arrange a special election to fill their own seats. The first order of business was to hold another meeting with no public notice and reappoint the former mayor, Stokes, as the new mayor. So what we have going on in this small, very, very small, under 500 people small, majority black town that has been run by all white people with zero elections, what we have in this uh, majority black town is the white folks telling the black folks, we don't care that you did everything you were supposed to do to become mayor. We don't want you to be mayor. So therefore, we're not going to let you be mayor. That's the Republican way in 2023. Oh, we didn't win the election, but we're going to keep them out anyway. That's actually happening in Georgia, ladies and gentlemen. The white folks who did not win council seats or the mayor's office are keeping the black folks who did win those seats out of office because, yeah, fuck you guys. Somebody's going to wind up getting killed in that scenario. But that's a small example of Republicans taking black elected officials out of duly elected offices because they don't like them. That's a small version of it. Let me give you a larger version of it that's playing out in the great state of Florida as we speak. From Politico. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on Wednesday, this was Wednesday of last week, once again, suspended an election or an elected Florida prosecutor from office, this time removing a central Florida Democrat that the Republican governor contended was too lenient with criminals and was endangering the public. The move uh, drew sharp criticism from the target of the suspension, State Attorney Monique Worrell, as well as Democrats who called DeSantis a dictator and said his actions were designed to draw attention to his struggling presidential campaign. And it is struggling. This dude is failing to gain any traction whatsoever. He thought he was just going to sweep up all of the Republican uh, support across the country because his shit don't stink in Florida. But as I've been trying to explain to people over and over and over again, 
Ron DeSantis plays well in Florida. But the rest of the country ain't Florida. His bullshit doesn't play in other parts of the world. As he is now learning. The governor's office had been telegraphing dissatisfaction with World for months, including raising questions about how her office had handled past arrest of a 19-year-old man who was ultimately arrested for allegedly killing three people in Orlando. <clears throat> this fucking guy, I swear to God. <sighs> Listen, the bottom line of this whole thing is this. Worrell is a black Democratic prosecutor that was duly elected. DeSantis doesn't like her. Now, DeSantis doesn't like her for whatever reasons DeSantis doesn't like her, but we can speculate as to the reasons he doesn't like her. A, she's a Democrat. B, she's a woman. C, she's a black Democratic woman. And that's all you need to be in 2023 to draw the ire of hateful Republicans. So Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, has stepped in and himself, unilaterally, removed a duly elected Democratic prosecutor from a seat she won through an open election. That is the Republican Party in 2023. That is what the Republicans are trying to do in state after state. We're seeing it right now in Georgia. We're going to be talking about Trump's troubles in Georgia here during uh, this podcast, towards the end of this podcast. Uh, and, And what do we see going on in Georgia right now? Well, they're trying to impeach the prosecutor who's indicting Trump in Georgia. We can't win the case on facts because we know he did the crime. So what, what do we need to do? We need to get rid of the person who's willing to prosecute him and cover the whole thing up. Make sure none of this ever sees the light of day. Make sure none of this goes to a courtroom. Oh, by the way, she too is a black female Democratic prosecutor that earned her seat. And now they just want to remove her. Because certain Republicans will do anything, and I mean anything, to A, retain control and power, and B, protect the dear leader Donald Trump. We're seeing that play out in, uh, in Georgia, as I said, right now. Speaking of Trump land... We have Judge Cannon in Florida stepping in it with a ruling uh, in the documents case down there. I'm going to read to you from Vanity Fair. When Judge Cannon... uh, Sorry, my notes are all over the place. My bad. When Judge Cannon denied Donald Trump's request last month to delay his classified documents trial until after the 2024 election, it looked like there might be a small glimmer of hope. That was sadly extinguished very, very quickly. On Monday of last week, the Trump-appointed judge said that two sealed filings submitted by Special Counsel Jack Smith 
should be struck from the record and question the legal propriety of using an out-of-district grand jury proceeding to continue to investigate and or seek post-indictment hearings. She released information about a secret grand jury that she was not supposed to release from the bench. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we got to get into the Georgia stuff here coming up soon. And I like to keep these podcasts to one hour, no matter if I missed a week or not. But she's releasing information about grand juries and grand jurors from the bench that she should not release in order to assist the man who appointed her to her seat, Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump is currently under indictment in New York, Washington, D.C., Florida, and Georgia, as we will discuss in a moment. The only judge that Trump is not attacking on social media, and the only judge that Trump is not saying should be removed and replaced, is Judge Cannon in Florida, because he appointed her. He's hoping that judge redeems him in court, he wins that case, and he could point to it as a vindication of his crimes. It's the only judge he is not currently attacking. And she's starting to make bad decisions that benefit Trump and potentially harm grand jurors in this case. I'm not saying she should be removed from the case yet, but she sure as fuck is tamp dancing around that. You exposed the existence of a grand jury that the public did not know, know about. That is not for you to do. You are endangering lives by doing so. Speaking of endangering lives, I'm sure you guys have heard about this one. I was going to talk about this one as well, but we have a crazed Trumper, or I should say had a crazed Trumper uh, Trumper threatening to kill many high-ranking Democrats, including the president, killed in an FBI raid. I'm going to read to you from the AP News. An armed Utah man accused of making violent threats against the president was shot and killed by FBI agents hours before the president landing in the state. Wednesday, authorities said, uh, special agents were trying to serve a warrant on the home of Craig DeLue Robertson in Provo, south of Salt Lake City, when the shooting happened at 6.15 a.m. Robertson was armed at the time of the shooting, according to two law enforcement sources who spoke to the Associated Press on the condition of anonymity to discuss details of an ongoing investigation. Robertson posted online that he had been uh, that he had heard Biden was coming to Utah and he was planning to dig out a camouflage suit and begin quote cleaning the dust off the M24 sniper rifle. That seems like a sane thing to say. No. Robertson referred to himself as a MAGA Trumper, quote unquote, a reference to former President Donald Trump's Make America Great Again slogan and also posted threats against top law enforcement officials, uh, other top law enforcement officials. Neighbors described Robertson as a frail, elderly man. His online profile put his age at 74. 
who walked with the aid of a hand-carved stick. Though he regularly carried guns, they said he didn't seem like a threat. Quote, there's no way he was driving from here to Salt Lake City, setting up a rifle and taking a shot at the president. 100% no way, said neighbor Andrew Mauder outside the church across from Robertson Street. The attack comes as Republicans, who have traditionally touted themselves as the party of law and order, have escalated their attacks on law enforcement and especially the FBI. This gentleman made online threats to multiple high-ranking Democrats and said he wanted to assassinate the President of the United States. And when the FBI went to go serve him with a warrant, he pointed a rifle at them. And they shot him. And Trumpers across the country are losing their ever-loving mind as a result of it. How could you possibly go in guns a-blazing? Well, the guy said he wanted to fucking kill the president. How were they supposed to know who he is and what he is? And now the people uh, on social media, who are far right-wing conservative pundits, are talking about how he's a frail old man. and How could they possibly shoot a 77-year-old elderly disabled man? This is fascism in America. Not mentioning the fact that the motherfucker threatened to snipe the president. I don't give a fuck if you're 177. If you threaten to kill the president and the FBI shows up to have a chat with you and you point a rifle at them, you deserve two in the skull. And don't you know, protesters are outside of his house uh, this past week holding up signs that say, fuck Joe Biden, Trump 2024. Because this is the kind of lunatic that the Trump movement supports. Homicidal, domestic terrorist pieces of dog shit get praised in Trump's America. Except not when the FBI shows up to have a chat with them at their door. They get shot. So, to all of you people that feel sad for this 77-year-old man that got taken out by the FBI, if you're listening to this, here's my take on it. One last scumbag in the world for us to worry about. I'm happy they took the motherfucker out. Just saved the government a fuckload of time and money by trying this piece of shit. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. As for Trump himself, Jack Smith has asked for a January 6th trial date. January 6th. Let's break down what the calendar would look like. I'm sorry, January 2nd. My apologies. January 2nd. Let's break down what the calendar would look like for Trump if Jack Smith gets that January 2nd court date. Now, that's for the January 6th uh, insurrection. That's how I got six and two mixed up there. My apologies. This breakdown that I'm about to give you comes from our friend Hawk over on TikTok. Okay, Hawk did a great video breaking down what this legal calendar looks like for Trump. On October 2nd of this year, right around the corner, the New York civil trial starts. That's the $250 million lawsuit that Trump is facing from the, 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 uh, from the New York. 
where they want they want to charge him two hundred fifty dollars in fines and bar him or his family from doing business in New York for ten years. They're going to win that lawsuit. He's going to owe New York two hundred fifty million dollars. That starts October second. Keep in mind, each of these trials will take, on average, about six weeks. So that one starts October 2nd. January 2nd, if Jack Smith gets his way, would be his insurrection trial with Jack Smith. January 5th is the Iowa caucuses. We begin picking our candidates January 5th in Iowa. January 29th, we see Trump and the Trump Organization go on trial for a pyramid scheme that defrauded a bunch of people out of money. Shocker. March 5th is Super Tuesday, where I forget how many states have their primary all on one day. March 25th, Trump goes on trial in Manhattan for the Stormy Daniels hush money payments, where he's facing over 30 felony uh, indictments. May 20th is the Florida criminal document trial. July 15th is the Republican Convention. And now we've got Georgia, and they're asking for a date in March. That would be two civil trials and three criminal trials, all before the GOP convention is even held. During the entirety of the primary elections. But like I said, there's more because Trump has been indicted out of Georgia. Last week, Trump tried to intimidate former lieutenant governor of Georgia by attacking him on Truth Social and telling him he shouldn't testify. Well, he did testify to the grand jury, then spoke to the media and said that the election wasn't rigged. Trump was the worst candidate in the history of the party. And if they nominate Trump again in 2024, the GOP will lose. Then Trump and 18 others got indicted in Georgia. I'm going to read to you now from Politico. In addition to charging Donald Trump, a grand jury in Fulton County, Georgia, returned an indictment Monday of 18 other people as co-defendants in the former president's effort to overturn the results of the 2020 election in Georgia and elsewhere. They include Trump's former White House chief of staff, a handful of his former lawyers, and so-called false electors. Here's a list of the defendants and what they are accused of. Obviously, at the top of the list, we have Donald Trump. According to the charges brought by the district attorney, Fannie Willis, the former president was the head of a criminal enterprise... (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) My bad. Let's do that again. According to the charges brought by District Attorney Fannie Willis, the former president was the head of a criminal enterprise aimed at corrupting the results of the 2020 election. Trump supervised a vast scheme to derail the transfer of power to Joe Biden, prosecutors say, accusing Trump of orchestrating several distinct and illegal efforts to remain in office. In addition to Trump, Rudy Giuliani was charged. Fannie Willis's case against Trump portrays his former personal attorney and his closest associate in multiple facets of the scheme. Giuliani oversaw Trump's effort to lobby state legislators to reverse the outcome of the election. In mid-November 2020, Giuliani, along with several Trump lawyers, held a press conference at the Republican National Committee headquarters to claim ballot fraud in Georgia and other states. 
John Eastman, another lawyer of Trump's, has been charged with helping develop the most extreme, extreme last-ditch efforts to keep Trump in office and used his access to the White House to put direct pressure on then-Vice President Mike Pence and his aides. By the way, uh, just to recap, Mike Pence is one of the people that's going to be testifying against Trump in the D.C. January 6th case because Mike Pence went in and testified to that grand jury. That's going to be a doozy. Now, no cameras are allowed in the D.C. trial because it's a federal case, but I would love to see the images of Trump sitting next to his lawyer looking up at the witness box while Mike Pence, his former vice president, details his crimes. But I digress. Back to Georgia. John Eastman charged. Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, has been charged. Another lawyer, Kenneth Chesborough, has been charged. Another lawyer, Jeffrey Clark, has been charged. Another lawyer, Jenna Ellis, has been charged. A Georgia lawyer who helped Trump's post-election litigation, Ray Stalling Smith III, has been charged. Robert Sheely, a Georgia official, has been charged. Michael Roman, a Trump campaign aide, has been charged. David Schaefer, the chair of the Georgia Republican Party uh, and one of Trump's false electors in Georgia, has been charged. Stephen Glifford Lee, Harrison William Prescott Floyd, and Trevion Cutty, uh, all charged. Uh, they all, uh, uh, according to the indictment, Lee, Floyd, and Cuddy attempted to influence the testimony of Ruby Freeman, a Fulton County elected worker for the grand jury. So they're all charged with uh, intimidating witnesses. Uh, Kathleen Alston Latham has been charged. Sean Micah Tresher Still has been charged. Misty Hampton has been charged. Scott Graham Hall, a, a Georgia bail bondsman who sought to illegally breach election equipment. Uh, at the Coffee County Board of Elections regi- uh, registration office, has been charged, and of course, Sidney Powell. You guys all remember Sidney Powell, the Kraken. Release the Kraken. She has been uh, charged as well. So, eighteen people charged. These are RICO charges, by the way. And if you guys don't know what RICO is, <coughs> RICO is spelled R-I-C-O. RICO is uh, the measure by which prosecutors go after the mob. If if you have a conspiracy, let's say there are 10 people as part of an organization that conspire to do crimes, and you can charge one person in those 10 with a crime, you can charge all 10 of them under the RICO Act. It's how, ironically enough, Rudy Giuliani very successfully went after the mob in New York. He got them all on RICO charges. Now... He is under indictment on a RICO charge. So all of these people have to make decisions. Are they going to go to prison for Trump or are they going to flip? And this prosecutor is asking for a March court date. So currently, right now, August 18th, 2023, the front runner for the Republican nomination for the 2024 presidential election is out on bail. In New York, Washington, D.C., Florida, and now Georgia. Well, he'll be out on bail as of next week. He has until next Friday, all of these people have until next Friday, the 25th, to turn themselves in and be be processed, be booked. And because these are state charges, a couple of things that you need to be made aware of, just like in New York, 
Um, you cannot be pardoned for this by a president. State charges are not covered under presidential pardons. They are exempt. In addition, while there are no cameras allowed in federal courthouses, cameras are allowed in certain state courthouses, Georgia being one of them. So that trial will be televised. In addition, he has to be processed at the Fulton County Jail. And that sheriff has already said, we don't treat anybody special. Everybody gets processed the same way. Their fingerprints are taken, their mugshot is taken, their height and weight is taken, and all of that information is put on our website for the world to see. So next week when Trump turns himself in, he will be fingerprinted, he will be uh, weighed, he will uh, have his height taken, and he will have a mugshot, all of which will be available to the public. And then he will officially be out on bail in Georgia. So he's facing a $250 million civil case in New York. He's facing 30-plus felony counts in New York. He's facing felony counts out of Washington, D.C. He's facing felony counts out of uh, Florida. He's facing felony RICO counts out of Georgia. He has over 90 felony indictments so far. And Arizona is now poised to be the next one to indict him. The Democratic prosecutor there is proceeding full steam ahead with an investigation into the fake elector scheme there with the full support of the uh, Arizona governor. So he's going to get indicted in Arizona as well. They've already indicted all 16 fake electors that were uh, operating uh, under Trump's orders in Michigan. You got to think some of those people are going to flip. And even if they don't flip, you got to think that Michigan is going to indict him. Jack Smith has indicated that he's probably uh, getting ready to indict Trump again out of New Jersey, given the fact that we have uh, Trump on video, on tape, I should say. Uh, talking about how he disseminated classified information uh, information to somebody that was not authorized to see it. And there could be more charges from the documents case coming out of Florida. So he's out on bail in four jurisdictions currently. And he's going to get indicted in Arizona. That would be a fifth. He's most likely going to get indicted in New Jersey. That would be a sixth. He's most likely going to be indicted in uh, Michigan. That would be a seventh. And if he gets more indictments in uh, Florida... That would be an eighth time he gets booked and is out on bail. By the time the Republican nomination is picked, Donald Trump will be a convicted felon. And he's still going to be the Republican nominee. They're still going to vote him in. Because just like we saw in 2016, the anti-Trump vote is going to be spread out over multiple candidates while Trump consolidates his cult following. Hell, Marjorie Taylor Greene, a sitting member of Congress, has already said publicly that if he's in prison after being found guilty on these felony charges, she's still going to vote for him. So his cult is going to back him no matter what. He's getting the nomination. It's going to be Joe Biden, incumbent president, versus Donald Trump, convicted felon, in November of 2024. And there is a very, very, very real chance that Donald Trump will win 
the Republican nomination for the presidency from a jail cell. That's a real possibility. That's how far and gone the Republican Party is in today's day and age. They will literally vote for him if he's in prison. The anti-Trump vote is going to be split up between Pence and Chris Christie and Scott and Nikki Haley and, and those folks. That, that, the the anti-Trump is going to be split up between four, five, six different nominees. While Trump, once again, consolidates his cult. They are going to nominate him as a convicted felon. And the, what are the Trumpers saying? All of these cases are going to result in nothing. They are the only fucking people that can chant lock her up after investigations by their own party has deemed she did nothing wrong while simultaneously thinking that 90 plus felony counts in four different jurisdictions are going to result in nothing. It's all a witch hunt. Leg like 2024, bitches. <laughs> I've had a lot of people say to me for a long time, I'll believe it when I see it, Tom. I'll believe it when I see it, Tom. I'll believe it when I see it, Tom. He's never going anywhere. He's never going anywhere. Well, we are now in the find out phase. Donald Trump can't talk his way out of this. He can't buy his way out of this. He can't tweet his way out of this. He is in the legal system now. He either has to cut a plea deal or go through with these cases and hope that he gets found not guilty. In four jurisdictions so far, probably looking at upwards of seven or eight jurisdictions by the time it's all over with. Dude's going to have 150 plus indictments hanging around his neck by the time this is all said and done with. And the soft-headed among us are still going to line up to faithfully vote for him. And when he loses in 24... And believe me when I tell you this, he will lose in 24. We all still need to get our asses to the polling places. We still need to vote. We still need to ensure that loss. But he is going to lose. When he loses in 2024, we're going to hear about how it was rigged again. We're going to hear about how it was because of all these indictments. We're going to hear about how it was because he was found guilty and, 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 and it was the Democrats that were making people think bad about him. It's never going to end with these fucking people. Never. The only redeeming quality of any of this is that we can all go through the rest of our lives knowing that Donald Trump will never again hold the levers of power. 2024's election date will come and go, and he will not be elected president. Joe Biden will be elected president if he's the nominee for a second term. Donald Trump will not be elected president. He will be too old to run in 2028 if he's not already in prison, or dare I say, if he hasn't already expired by that point in time. He will never be our president again, and he will die eventually a convicted felon, and probably penniless because he's going to owe so much money to so many fucking people and the government is going to start seizing his fucking property left and right that he isn't going to have a fucking dime to his name when he dies. His kids are going to actually have to get jobs. Well, at least the boys. 
Ivanka has her own little empire going. And don't be surprised if Ivanka doesn't wind up testifying against Daddy in one of these trials if her ass or her husband's ass is caught in the ringer eventually as well. Boys and girls, I'm telling you straight. 2024 is going to be a glorious fucking year. Hell, we'll probably have a a resolution to the $250 million civil case out of New York before the end of this year. It would be a hell of a Christmas present, wouldn't it? Starts October 2nd. It's going to go into November. We're probably going to get some type of verdict mid to end November, maybe the beginning of December. Guilty. You owe New York $250 million. Of course, he's going to appeal that immediately. So he could delay paying that $250 million as long as humanly possible. But he's going to lose. So he's going to wrap up the year owing New York $250 million and being barred from uh, doing business in, in New York for 10 years. Which, I don't know what that means for the Trump organization. Does it need to shut down and relocate out of New York? Or does somebody else need to be put in charge of it? I don't know what that's going to look like yet. And then we're going to roll into the new year with him facing criminal trial after criminal trial after criminal trial after criminal trial after criminal trial throughout the entirety of the primary season, leading all the way up to the nominating uh, nomination uh, of the uh, the candidates and the conventions and right into November. The dude is fucked, boys and girls. I know you guys thought it was never going to happen. It's fucking happening. He's fucked. That's it. It's over. Trump is dead in the water. And I'm here for every minute of it. (laughs) Hey, listen to me. Next Friday, August 25th, is the birthday for two very important people. One, first and foremost, my wife, Renee. That is her birthday next Friday. So I want you guys to jot that down in your calendar so next Friday you guys tag her on TikTok and Facebook and wish her a happy birthday. The second important birthday for me next Friday is my oldest grandchild, Salem. Yes, our grandchild and, and grandchild and grandmother share a birthday, August 25th. So I'm hoping to bring you a new episode next Friday. Uh, if, if things change, I will let you know, but I can tell you that, uh, next Friday is going to be important, an important day in our family with those two birthdays. And I can also tell you that that's all I have for you this week. As far as this podcast episode goes, I thank you guys for being patient with me on the time that I take off from time to time and for sticking with the podcast. Please share this podcast. When you see it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, share it. So that it reaches more people. Share it into your community pages. Share it with friends. Tag people. We want to grow this audience. Uh, We're averaging a couple of thousand listeners right now, but we want to grow it some more, okay? Anyway, that's all I got for you guys this week. Tune in next week for hopefully an all-new episode. And until then, as always, stay grateful.